Good. Well, it's so great, isn't it, to just acknowledge all that Jesus has done and all that he's done for each one of us. And uh, as you'll see as we go through this passage, those songs um, uh, are very uh, important, really, in the light of uh, what we're looking at this morning in the Bible. Uh, We uh, spend some time each week uh, looking at the Bible together, seeking to understand what uh, it has to say to us, and we pray that God will speak to us through his word. And we're in some studies in the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, If you have a Bible near you uh, and you want to use one of ours, it's on page uh, 1147. We'll uh, read it uh, uh, in a minute or two. Actually, let's just pray together before we, we, we turn to the passage. Father, we thank you for these reminders that, uh, Jesus, you are the lamb who has been sacrificed. That our, our sin, our rebellion against God and what's wrong in our lives was uh, so serious that you did an amazing thing in coming and dying for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know joy in our lives as we've sung. We thank you, Lord, that... As the Lamb you reign now as we sang, enthroned on high. And Lord, we want to acknowledge your Lordship over our lives and our community as we come before you together and seek to hear your word and understand it. Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and and speak to us and remind us of things that we, we should be doing. Show us how to be more like Jesus in the week ahead, we pray, individually and together as a community. So, Lord, we commit our time to you as we continue now in your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I say, we're looking into the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. We started it uh, earlier on in the year, and we've just come back Uh, into it. Now we're going to be here until Christmas with one or two other things going on. Um, And we're going through it systematically. Uh, We're not leaving any of it out. Um, And that's why chapter 5 we've come to. Actually quite an interesting and uh, difficult in some ways people have said this uh, passage can be. But we don't want to avoid the difficult bits. We want to get into them and see what God might say to us. As uh, you may remember or know already, um, the, the, this, this letter has been written to a church in a Roman city of Corinth. It was in the area of Greece, but as we've heard, it was a Roman colony. It been, had been destroyed and rebuilt under Roman lines, and they were very proud of their Roman heritage, their Roman law, their Roman culture. The letter we have in our Bibles was written in about uh, in the AD 50s by the Apostle Paul, one of the early, early leaders of the church. And if you want to find out more, then you can always check out the series by going on our our website and logging on. Uh, You don't have to have a code or anything, just go on to um, New to Portswood or something like that, you'll find it, there are downloads there. Uh, But uh, what we've been realising is that this church had quite a lot of problems, quite a lot of difficulties. In many ways, if you, you kind of list them out, you think, whoa, that's quite a serious uh, church. Looking through the whole book, if you ever have a chance to read it through, you'll, you'll see all kinds of stuff that uh, you think, including some of the things we're going to look at today, which uh, you'd be shocked to think this could be part of any kind of church whatsoever. But they were facing these problems, and they, they needed help with them. 
Behind them was this issue that the culture that they were in was tending to to be shaping them, was putting pressure on them. They were tending to think and behave just like everyone else all around them. And they were, in that way, just kind of being pushed gently. Uh, Perhaps even hardly they noticed it to start with. But they were being pushed away from where they started as a Christian community, loyal to Jesus, kind of centered on him, you know, sure about the cross and all that he's done. All of those things in chapter one, Paul looks back and says, that was all great, but something is kind of pushing them uh, away. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter because he wants to bring them back. You see, what they were, what was happening to them was that they were beginning to lose sight of what actually being a believer was really all about, about Jesus Christ about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, about the fact that Jesus died on a cross and calls us to live a life shaped by uh, his death and his life, his resurrection. And as we saw last week, they were being pushed away from what matters most about their faith. And, uh, you know, Paul, I think, could see that if this is going to carry on much longer, (laughs) they were going to be hardly recognisable at all as a Christian community. They started well. Paul the Apostle, he loves them. We saw last week how much he loves them. He's just longing that they should get back into the right place. And so, as I say, he's writing uh, to put them back on track. Now, there are a number of ways that their behavior was out of line with what God's best for them was. We've seen uh, a lot about divisions, and that kind of has been going on through the first few chapters. That was a big one. It was caused by their way of thinking. They were thinking like everyone else and they were, that was leading them to divide up around celebrities and personalities and great orators and so on. We've dealt with that um, in the first few chapters. And many of the other problems they face are going to come back to the way they were thinking. Their thinking is being moulded in the wrong direction. And we're going to be seeing in these next through few chapters, issues of relationships. We'll see that next week. A lot in these chapters about sexual behavior and about purity, about marriage and singleness. All this stuff is all coming up in the next few chapters. And in all kinds of ways, they're getting into all kinds of difficulties in their behavior. But it's not just about their behavior As I say, the letter is pointing to what's behind the behaviour. Why it is they're behaving like this? And Paul is telling them all all the way through, look, you're losing sight of what you're meant to be as believers. Your your understanding is being eroded. And Paul is taking them back to to those issues of their understanding of what a believer should be, what a Christian community is, what a follower of Jesus is, is is meant to look like. And he's kind of, all the time, as he addresses each of these problems, he he goes behind them to say, look guys, this is your thinking. It is out of line with God's truth here. You need to get back on track. So in in this section, as we shall see, and in chapter 6, in a couple of weeks' time, it is about what you do with your bodies, but Paul is saying it's not just about what you do with your bodies. He's desperate for them to understand that that you're doing stuff with your bodies or you're behaving in a certain way because you're forgetting who you are as Christian believers. What being a follower of Jesus means. What it means to be united with Jesus in an individual way. He's saying, as you behave in these other ways, they're kind of eroding that understanding, that, that kind of awareness in your lives. 
And he's saying as well to them as a whole community that this kind of behaviour is kind of eroding what you are as a community, united in Jesus, what you should be together. We need to keep grasp of that, don't we? What does it mean to be a believer of Jesus? What should it look like? What does it mean to be united with him? What does it mean for us to be a community of believers united with him? That's the issue. Now, there's an issue that they're facing in this um, chapter. Shall we look at it? It's in chapter 1, uh, verse 5, chapter 1 and 2. Let's see what the issue is. There's a big issue, 5, verse 1 and 2. Is everyone all right for heat and stuff? Anyone feeling too hot or anything? No? You're okay? All right. See, we, we sometimes have the fans on, so if it gets hot, I'm sure... Someone has put their fans on. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is, a, there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So it's a big issue. It's all about what Paul says, what is translated sexual immorality. The word is a word that you often use, it's often used in the New Testament. The Greek word is porneia. It's the word actually from which we get pornography. It basically meant any kind of sex outside of God's rules, basically. It started, the word, the word is used quite often in Greek, and it's sometimes originally used in terms of using a prostitute, but it, it, it came to kind of cover every kind of part, every part of uh, illicit sex of any kind. And you know, in Corinth, as we heard in our first week a few months ago, Corinth was a typical ancient city of that time. It was pretty free and easy, as we heard on the very first week uh, a few months ago. The culture there was pretty much like our own. Yeah, people were sexually very active. They would seem to feel that they were pretty free to do whatever they liked. And yet again, in Roman, this was a Roman city, in Roman times there was also, rather like our own time, a curious kind of insistence as well that, that the family really mattered. There was a great desire for healthy families. So there was kind of running along both sides, there was a strong sense of family but there was also this, this other sense of kind of wild behaviour and non-exclusive relationships and, and we'll, we'll, we'll re- hear a lot about them as the weeks go on, particularly two weeks' time. And these Christian communities who were all from Gentile backgrounds, they were, when they came to follow Jesus, they were being taught to leave that behind them. Why were they taught that? Well, Jesus taught very clearly about the exclusiveness of the marriage covenantal relationship and God's truth revealed in the Old Testament about purity shaped the way the, the, the New Testament church were to behave. And it's very clear. So right early on in the history of the church, you may, some of you who know these things will remember in the book of Acts, you know there was a big argument about how much should the converts from non-Jewish backgrounds keep the Jewish law? Should they be circumcised? Should they eat ritual, the, the foods that the Jews ate and so on and so forth? Do you remember that big argument that there was in the early church? And then they wrote a letter in Acts 15 after they all got together and prayed about it and the Holy Spirit led them and they wrote this letter and, and, and the letter went from the Jewish kind of the mother church in Jerusalem out to the Gentile congregations 
And they said, no, you don't have to get circumcised, but we do want you to abstain. You should be abstaining from immorality. You should not be living the way you always used to. Pornea, any kind of illicit sex is, is out as far as Christian believers are concerned. That was what they said. You can read it in the letter that they wrote in Acts chapter 15. So the early church were, were encouraged, then the Bible tells us as well quite clearly that as believers, whatever everyone else is doing, no matter what our backgrounds may have been and what our history may be, it's not for us. We should be saying no to illicit sex out of marriage. And we'll be uh, looking at it in more detail as we go through in the next chapter. That's very clear. So what's happening to here? Paul kind of starts this catalogue of issues relating to sex with uh, one, actually, that shouldn't be too difficult for the Corinthians to get hold of at all. He starts with a relatively easy one to deal with. Because in verse 1, the issue is that a man is in a relationship, a sexual relationship, with his stepmother. It's probably not his actual mother, but it would have been his father's second wife, or maybe his fa- maybe even his father's concubine or something. But it was in a se- essentially a relationship that should not be happening. Now, it was against Roman law. It was actually technically illegal. You know, I told you that in the Roman world, families were, were valued very highly... Um, it, Augustus Caesar, in, in uh, the year 18 BC, introduced a law to try and shore up uh, what was happening to Roman families. So that would have been about 60, 70 years before then. And the law was on the statute book, and, and, and people were t- attempting to keep it. And that the law actually stated, the Roman law said, you shouldn't um, actually even, uh, you know, in a, in a second marriage of a widow, uh, a son should not marry a step. Uh, a stepmother or, or whatever, uh, uh, even if there was nothing kind of um, dodgy about it other than genetics, it was illegal. Uh, and they tended to, actually it wouldn't be genetically dodgy, would it? Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> it, it was illegal anyway because it undermined the kind of the family. But it was, uh, people kind of turned a blind eye a bit to that. But where there was adultery involved, it was absolutely clearly illegal. There was no question about it. It wasn't condoned by the pagans. According to the law, if a couple were involved in that, they were to, a case was to be brought to them within 60 days, uh, and they, if they were found guilty, their assets would be taken from them, all their property, and the both of them would be banished to an island. I don't know quite which island, but anyway, that was in, in the, law, the Roman law at the time. It was a very serious kind of offence. And that's what Paul says, when this is happening in your church, and the pagans don't even condone that, it does not even occur among pagans. The Corinthian church were outdoing their non-Christian neighbours in immorality. It's a bit of an issue, isn't it? Could that ever happen? Well, anyway... Behind that is a bigger problem. Here's the bigger problem, which I think will come up. They were turning a blind eye to sin. 
See, the church knew it was going on, but they hadn't done anything about it. Even worse, says Paul, they were proud of it. They thought it was really cool for some reason. How could that have happened? What would have made them think like that? Well, the experts suggest two possibilities. When Paul says here in verse 2, you're really proud, there's that word we've been coming up against, puffed up. You know, your, your egos are really inflated. You, you, you know, and it could be that you know, they, they, as we've seen, were so preoccupied with their own kind of celebrity, with their favourite leaders, maybe this guy was one of them, we don't know, but uh, whatever it was, they were just so intoxicated with their own ideas. Or maybe some have said that they got to a place where they thought that they were so spiritual, that the Holy Spirit was so kind of powerful among them, and there'll be lots about this right at the other end of the letter, by the way, but, but they, were, they were so into spiritual experiences that they come to a kind of view that, well, since we're so spiritual, it, our bodies doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, does it? And it could have been that that was why, you know, in that kind of puffed up view of, uh, of their own kind of spirituality, they thought, well, it doesn't matter. Or it could be, alternatively, that this man, and it does seem to be it's only the man involved who is a member of their fellowship. There's no mention of the woman. So the assumption is that, that his, this man's stepmother, who he was uh, having a, a, an affair with, uh, was actually um, not a member of the church family. This, it's, uh, this man, it could well be, and this is a big issue in Corinth, pretty high status. See, the Corinthians loved their superstars, didn't they? They loved their celebrities. And it could be that he's a high-status member of their church. It could be, actually, that they're all kind of connected with him in social ways. Uh, social networking was very big in the Roman world. They didn't have any Facebook or any electronic ways, but they had dinner parties and orgies, and we'll hear about that later. It's going to be an interesting series, this, but they had all kinds of ways of, of turning dinner parties into networking and, you know, to be in the right dinner party. There was a whole kind of social networking that went on where people were kind of obligated to other people, and it could be that they were proud in the sense that this guy was a big celebrity or someone of high status. And so, you know, nobody was going to speak out against it because they had too much to lose, they thought, by doing so. Now, that could be the meaning in when we get to verse 11, why he, Paul later says, don't keep eating with this man, because dinners were very important in Roman culture. It's where everything, actually rather too much, went on, as I implied, but it's where kind of everything happened socially in dinners. But whatever the reason, they're turning a blind eye to sin. Now, not someone who slipped up or made a mistake or been tempted, faced temptation, been tempted, or someone who wants to put it right and get back on track with God. This is someone who quite deliberately has entered into a lifestyle and is saying, I'm going to live this way because I want to. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's what I'm going to do. That's what Paul is talking about. Let me tell you a story. I got time? Yeah, I think so. One night, somebody uh, was um, woke up uh, with an overwhelming uh, desire, actually, to, it was a married guy, um, to get up and look in his wife's handbag. Never did that before, but he kind of did. And he found uh, a note in my story. He found a note in the handbag which reveals that his wife, actually, 
is uh, having an affair with the pastor of their church. And um, that was the kind of evidence by it. And, and he told people, and uh, they told the pastor, and the pastor took the view, that's, that's my business. That's private. That's got nothing to do with you. What I do is my business. And uh, later on in my story, the pastor still was saying that the church leaders are moral pygmies for behaving in that way. Because the church leaders uh, eventually sack him or whatever. That's the kind of thing. Not the kind of sin. I mean, it is the kind of sin. But the kind of attitude that, attitude that says, blow you. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think the Bible says. I'm carrying on in this way. And Paul is astonished that the Corinthians are supporting it, that, they, that they're celebrating it. He says you should be gutted. You should almost be bereaved by what's going on. And you should be having to very sadly say to this guy, you're no longer part of us because you're choosing to sin in this way. But they weren't. See, it's, it would be like the church in my story actually confronting the past and then when because they and because they love him so much and because the church is so successful and because everything's going so well and because it's all very kind of wonderful being kind of proud of the fact that yeah well he's their pastor and they'll carry on and they'll just you know everyone else will look the other way that would be the equivalent of what the um, Corinthians are doing in my story I'm not going to tell you whether it's true or not you can ask me afterwards if you want. Paul goes on in the rest of the chapter to urge them to deal with this, to change. Basically what he's saying, open your eyes, he's saying, to what you are as believers, what you should be as a Jesus-centered community. What should you be? How can what you've, you know, how could you've got to this point? You're missing something to have got to this point about what God wants you to be as a community. And your attitude to this man and his sin is blinding, blinding you to what God wants for you. In fact, what you really are. Now, we're going to be headlining go through this quite quickly. Because I want us to look, there are three of these. Let's read verses 3 to 5. Because the first thing Paul says is you're a supernatural community. Open your eyes, see what you are. You're a supernatural community. Verse 3. Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, reading this in English, in our translation, it's a pretty tough thing to understand what Paul is talking about. Uh, those who read the original and write commentaries uh, can offer you, I read one commentary that offered five possible meanings to different bits of this verse. I'm not going to go into all of those details. Uh, I commend some books to you. I just want us to pick up on the things that are clear here rather than the things that are a little bit confusing. But uh, as I say in a minute, there'll be an opportunity for us to talk it through if you want to at another time. 
What does Paul say about them, firstly? He says, you're assembling in the name of the Lord Jesus. He says you're a community that's formed around the Lord Jesus. Now, it's interesting, he talks about the Lord Jesus here. Jesus is Lord. You're formed around him. You meet in his name. His kind of authority should be over everything to do, everything you do. That's what should shape you. His character, his truth, his authority should be over every part of your life when you meet together as a community. It's how you're defined. And so the implication, Paul is saying, because you're a supernatural community, because you're based around Jesus, then you should be treating sin in the way that Jesus did. Because he goes on to say that actually when you meet, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. He said, when you're together, Jesus is with you in your community. See what he's saying? You've got to open your eyes to realize that you're a supernatural community. You're not free to to go any which way, just to follow the culture. You're formed around Jesus. He should be shaping what you do. He should be shaping your attitudes and and the way you deal with this kind of stuff. And what's more, it's not just a, a general idea. Jesus himself is present. His power is at work among you. Things can happen because of Jesus' presence here. It's the point. What did Jesus get most angry about? Hypocrisy, wasn't it? It wasn't the people who slipped up, who got it wrong, who needed to get it right, who found their way back to God. He wasn't uh, angry about everybody who sinned and, and you know, was, realized that, that it was wrong and were looking for him for help. No, what really got him steamed up was people who were wrong in their lives, like the Pharisees, and refused to see it. That's the point. Pretending that it's all okay. And Paul is saying the Holy God is with you as a community. How can you turn a blind eye to sin if that is true? That's what he's saying. You're a supernatural community. And he goes on to say, and this is a very difficult uh, area, and, and it's got lots of commentators talking what he means when he talks he's saying you need this this man need must no longer be part uh, you know a closely involved member of your community he's saying really um, you should quote hand him over to satan that's an interesting phrase what does that mean well it's at least implying quite clearly that that there's protection within the christian community that the presence of Jesus is, is kind of a, 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 a place of security to an extent over the attacks of the enemy, over Satan's input. And so being outside of this community is not a good place to be. Now, Paul in this passage is, is not necessarily talking about just being there or just coming along to a community. He's talking about being part of it. He's being, talking about being committed to it. It's interesting when he says in verse 1, it's sexual immorality among you. And in verse 13, he used the same phrase, among you. He's talking about you know, being right in with a community uh, and somebody being in that community and cons- you know, deliberately carrying on sinning and in the way that this person has, or in any other way for that matter. We'll talk about how it might work out in our situation in a moment or two. So turning a blind eye to deliberate, willful sin, being proud of it, 
or letting the person's obli- you know, status or their obligation, your obligation to them, let those kind of things trump holiness, so to speak. You know, when top trumps, you know, that, that, that you know, well, doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what God says about holiness, um, you know, because there's such high status, you know, that trumps it. That kind of thing is blinding them to the community that they really are, that they should be. So let's, let us remember, we're to be a supernatural community. We're to be like the Lord that we worship and serve. Let's move on to the next bit, because Paul says something else about the community. He says in verses 6 to 8, that it's an interconnected community. Look at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old leaven that you may be a new batch without leaven as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with bread without leaven, the bread of sincerity and truth. Paul talks about leaven. What's leaven? Yeast. Now if you're on QI... That's where the bells would ring, okay? You know, if you were, I, can't, I haven't got time to explain it if you don't watch QI, but anyway, the bells would ring. Because actually leaven is not yeast. Do you know what leaven is? It's, uh, it's got yeast in it. Apparently they still do it in parts of uh, Europe and uh, kind of middle European places. If you don't have yeast, you know how you keep, you keep your bread rising? This is falling apart. I don't know what's happening. Uh, the back's come off it. Okay. Um, what you do is you take a bit of, of, of the bread that you're, you've eaten, right? But you always keep a bit back on the side. You know what, you know what I'm saying? What I'm going here? And, and you keep it, let it go a bit mouldy. You know, keep it on one side. And then next time you bake your next batch of bread, you put that bit into the flour, and that's how you keep your, keep your bread rising. That's what leaven is. Now, it is yeast in that sense. The NIV is right. But, but for the illustration, it's important to get that. And Paul is saying, look, leaven gets through the whole of the lump of dough. It goes through, it spreads, it has an impact. And Paul is saying to them, look, if you turn a blind eye to sin in your lives and in your community, it will affect the whole of your community. That's what he's saying. And then he starts to talk about Passover. In the Passover festival, uh, still is true, Jews were told to free the house of leaven. And that makes sense when we know what leaven is. It doesn't mean that they, you know, that they, they didn't get yeast out of the kind of um, the, a packet in the pantry, but they would. And I think some children would, would play games, and maybe the parents would hide mouldy old bits of bread or anyway things of bits of leaven around the place. And they were, the idea was to get rid of all the stuff that they were using out of the house completely, because they were going to start again with a fresh lot after the Passover. And this leaven. This old leaven that had been around all year spoke of the old, the bad stuff. Paul says it's, it's the old bad stuff that shouldn't be in your lives anymore. Paul is saying you should treat sin like that. Get rid of it. And the reason for this is that at Passover, they celebrated God's rescue. The lamb died, as we've been singing. We'll celebrate it in a minute. Instead of the firstborn son In the house of the Israelites, when they left Egypt, a lamb was sacrificed and the lamb died in the place of the firstborn son of the family. And they were rescued. They left Egypt for good and they weren't to take any of the old leaven with them. 
And Paul says to the Corinthians, look, Jesus is Passover for you. He's Passover for us. He's died so we can get rid of all this bad stuff. Just like the Israelites had no leaven when they took the Passover. Jesus is the Passover. Actually, in the original, it doesn't say Passover lamb. It just says, Jesus, our Passover. He's the whole thing. He's the rescue as well as the sacrifice. He's, He's the whole deal in terms of our rescue from sin, from slavery, from our old way of life. And Paul is saying, we're to be a Passover people. So verse 7 is really important. He says, get rid of the old yeast. I'll go back to the NIV translation. I've made my point. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. It's interesting, Paul, he doesn't say get rid of the old stuff and that will make you new. What he says, no, and this is the beginning of a track that will go all through Paul's writings. He's saying, what, you don't become right by doing this. You, you, you do this because of what Jesus has done for you. You become what you are. You are a Passover person. You're someone who's been rescued. So because of that, because of all that Jesus has done for you, get rid of this old stuff. And instead, he says, take, uh, live, it's, he says, it's like being uh, festival people. We are new because of Jesus, and we're to live as Jesus has made us. And he says, it's truth, sincerity, purity in actions and motives. So we're interconnected, Paul says. Don't lose sight of the fact that you're an interconnected community, that you're meant to be people on a festival, <laughs> Uh, it'd be interesting to be in a festival all the time. Uh, I've never been to a festival, actually. Well, I've been for the day, you know, but I've never been done the, the camping, you know, at Greenbelt or Glastonbury or even New Wine. But it seems pretty good, you know, it's a pretty nice atmosphere. But it, Paul is saying it's, it's to be, you know, centred on Jesus, what he's done for us. Festival people all the time. And that's shown in our attitude towards what's wrong. Finally, verses 9 to 13, Paul says... You're to be a distinctive community. He says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, this is a previous letter. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So there'd been an earlier letter from Paul. We don't have it. And he'd been addressing this kind of issue of, 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 of their lives, of sin in their lives previously. And he told them, he said, you know, my previous day, I told you uh, not to, is a particular kind of word here. He says, don't, to be, don't, don't be in with, don't mix yourself among, don't be mixed up with uh, a certain kind of people. And there's one of these lists who often, that often appear in Paul's letters and other, actually, literature of the time. A whole list of people that they shouldn't be kind of tied up with or connected to. Immoral, uh, there's that pornea word again and other things too. And the Corinthians had taken that to mean that they should stay away from unbelievers. That's what they'd taken it to mean. And Paul says to them, no, no, that's not what I mean. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that you're meant to stay away from unbelievers. He said, if you were going to do that, then you wouldn't be in the world at all. No, I want you to mix with all those people. 
He said, but what I don't want you to do is become kind of intermingled. For, for that kind of, where there are people who behave in that way, but call themselves brothers, then, you know, if they're consistently committed to those things, then, then you should be a bit more careful. We should be salt and light. Jesus said that, didn't he? Paul says that they should not be in community with someone who, as a brother, behaves in ways that just don't fit with Jesus. And he, he lists those behaviours, and I don't have time to go through them now. Paul's point is they need to be open to mix with everyone in their world, but in their own community, they're supposed to be different from the world around. Do you get the point? They mix with everybody else, that's fine, uh, and that's great, and that's good. But their whole community is distinctive because it has different standards from what's uh, the people all around. And the tragedy was that the Corinthians were doing it the other way around. They were avoiding non-Christians because they said, well, they're too sinful, and then tolerating the same kind of behavior in their own community. And Paul is saying, he said, look, leave the judgment of non-believers to God. Don't judge your neighbours. Don't be looking down on them. Don't be going tuck, tuck, tuck because they do this and they do that. That's not your business. That's God's business. If you're going to discern what's right and what's wrong, who you are responsible for is one another in your community. That's what Paul is saying. So the question to us is, are we distinctive? Are we different? Does anyone see it? Well, maybe not because we're avoiding them and judging them. Now, as we come to an end, I've got to ask, how do we take all this on board? It's not an easy passage. Uh, We can look at it in house groups. I'm also going to suggest that on a Sunday evening, probably the 30th of October, if you want to come come along to the church, we might have some coffee, and uh, just discuss, you know, raise any questions, issues, uh, things you think, well, did you really mean that? Or how do we work this out? Or whatever. Is the Bible really saying this? If you want to have a good old kind of a powwow about it, October the 30th, I think we'll check that with the staff diary, Chris, so we'll sort that out at the staff meeting, but I think it would be good in these passages to have an opportunity to, if something else is on, we won't do it, but we'll find a time when we can do it anyway. Now, as a church, we want to be open and we want to be distinctive, don't we? So everyone is welcome here, you know, I don't care what your lifestyle is, or what, what you're doing, or who you're doing it with, as far as being you know, coming into a church service or, or kind of being kind of around with us, you're welcome. But we have a membership here. And as members, if you become close into the fellowship, then we do have a responsibility to not live lives that are completely sinful, don't we? Or sinful, we don't want to be sold out to sin. Now, we do need to be careful how to apply this. This is a one-off issue in Corinth. If you read the rest of Corinthians, there's problem after problem after problem, as we shall see in two, two weeks' time, when you know, their whole sexual behavior was all over the place. Some of them were going to the temple for prostitutes. They were doing all kinds of things like that. Uh, this is the only incident in the whole book where Paul is saying somebody needs to be expelled from the community for their behavior. Now, that doesn't preclude anything else we're going to say, but I just want to point out that it is quite rare in the New Testament that this happens. Also, it's worth noting as well that as Paul writes this stuff, he involves the whole church. And this kind of discipline does involve everybody. It's a public issue. This guy, he's saying, has led the community astray and you need to deal with it publicly. They're all involved. So it wasn't just one of the leaders said, you should leave. 
there was a kind of public element to it. Not even Paul could do that. He calls them as a community to recognise these things. And there's more stuff we can talk about on that night, whenever it is, when we can talk it through together if you want to. But finishing, some things we are really sure about. We need to make sure that we're living as believers in a distinctive way. We need to be involved in the world, don't we? But we must be different to it. Our community shouldn't just reflect the the standards of the world around us. The irony is, the more different we are, the more attractive we are. Because the more like Jesus we are. Jesus was the purest man that ever walked the earth. And he was magnetic to the most messed up, sinful people that there were, wasn't he? In fact, his uh, opponents accused him of it. It'd be nice if we could be like that, wouldn't it? Completely welcome, open, accepting, but wholly different. Involved in the world, but different to it. Let's be interconnected with one another. Let's realise that that's what God wants us to be. One of the commentators I read said, these days the way church life works, well, it doesn't really matter what you do in your life because nobody really knows because you don't share enough of your life together to know. That's challenging, isn't it? Let's be uh, an interconnected community. Let's be a supernatural community. Let's behave like it. And let's realise that turning a blind eye to sin robs us of those realities. Most of all, we need to be a community where Jesus is present. A community where we're in the Passover festival all the time because we've been rescued, the lamb has been sacrificed and we want to live out what we are. Clean and fresh. Living with behaviour that is like fresh bread without any of that manky old leaven in it. You know, that stuff that was hanging around from before. Get it out. And let's be a community that live lives of of rescued people. The fresh bread of truth, sincerity, purity, as Paul says. And let's do it now. Well, as I say, it's an interesting passage. Uh, I hope if you've got issues, do talk about it uh, either afterwards or if you want to pray with somebody, pray with them. Or, as I say, look out for the opportunity on a Sunday evening to, to really chew it over in depth if you'd like to. Thanks.